In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, Zoe has a great chat with Pragya Maney, an urbanist with a background in planning and design. Pragya tells us how evidence-based planning frameworks, or lack thereof, sparked her interest in the smart city space, and why we need more adaptability and iterative approaches. Zoe and Pragya discuss how Australia is embracing smart concepts, as well as the need for upskilling and knowledge sharing to address the current skills gaps. Pragya shares how important it is to speak with and actually listen to people from other disciplines, as well as the power of open-mindedness and high-trust, high-respect environments for sparking innovation and creating integration. They finish their conversation discussing trends of accountability, adaptability, and the relationship between failure and innovation. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Progia. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Zoe. How are you? I am fabulous. Let's just jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you are passionate about? Sure. My background, I suppose, is originally from the planning degree. And while I was studying that, I have a personal background kind of more from the design side from with my parents being architects. So I started becoming interested in urban design and the large scale master planning process and as my first job was at an architecture firm and I kind of got a lot more experience looking at it from the master planning side, but also kind of the planning implications of that. And so that's kind of where I came from sitting both in planning and design. But my passion, I think really is the impact of our built environment on people and the way that our built environment shapes people's lives for the better or worse and provides them with I guess, opportunities to thrive. But I guess particularly in city environments, personally, just because I have grown up in cities and have enjoyed living in cities. So that's kind of what my core interest is in everything that I do, aside from other interests within the built environment as well. Cool. What sparked your interest in the smart city space? So back when I was working at the architecture firm um, and we were going through a lot of I guess, master planning design processes. I came across a lot of, I guess, projects where a very basic level of data was being used, but not at a comprehensive level and not at a level where I felt like it was making a difference or it was resulting in a process that could be tested regularly enough. So when I say this, I mean, essentially the evidence-based planning approach And I found that often at the end of the day, while project, I guess, a career experience speaks for a lot, at the end of the day, a lot of projects weren't really coming down to the data and what the data was telling us. And I just felt that sometimes a lot of decisions get made with regards to these large design projects that speak to a lot of great maybe design and planning principles, but they're not really relevant to the current context. And by the time, let's say 10 years after the master plan has been designed, 10 years later, there's just a completely different context, like completely different traffic environment, completely different urban design context. So that was kind of really my issue was feeling a bit 
unsatisfied with the outcome that those master plans were producing. Mm. So what is a smart city to you? For me, I guess, because I do have that interest in the human scale, I have to say it really is about the people and the people's experience within the built environment. And this ranges from the community aspect of it, a pursuit of innovation, creativity, belonging, identity to one's city and and living place, as well as just being connected and learning from your environment and making the most efficient use of the resources that you have, whether it's informing your citizens or providing infrastructure in a smarter way, um, places. So for me, that's kind of the lens that I try to look at things with is what benefit is it actually giving your citizens in that sense? How is it smart and why is it, what benefit is it actually going to give to the built environment and to the provision of large planning infrastructure or even urban design scale or communities. Yeah, no, exactly. And why do you think that this smart city concept is so important? I guess for me, I I suppose in every industry, but in the planning industry, you just hear of and you come across a lot of projects where things just miss the mark and you you feel really just annoyed that although this process was only undertaken a year ago, and maybe it's now at construction stage and you just feel like it hasn't delivered on the outcomes that it should have. And it's not relevant to the wealth of technology and infrastructure and opportunities that is out there currently. And I feel like we're just so behind. We're building environments that aren't utilizing what we have out there today and aren't actually giving us the outcomes that I think our citizens want and need. So do you think that a more iterative approach to planning more like, okay, so we, we do a design and we do some planning. We use the data that's available at the time and then, you know, it goes to construction. How long after that? Is there a gap in actually revisiting like what was done before with updated new data that we, you know, already have because we've got this wealth of technology that you can use? There's that aspect of it. And then the monitoring of it when it does it deliver on those outcomes. And then the other piece, which is actually using the technology in the built environment as well. So planning that in. Yeah. So essentially everything that you just said combined. So if we look at, um, I'll try and use an example. So if, for instance, an applicant uses some sort of innovative traffic analysis to try and justify a particular parking and traffic outcome for that development. And while at the time council or department or whoever it is has taken that on board, they've done perhaps their own analysis, their own kind of assessment of what the implications will be. Now, once that's approved, that doesn't really change. So I guess I would like to see from the government side, more of a push to, like you said, iterative testing of outcomes and actually providing a more flexible planning framework to shift things if they need to be shifted, which I acknowledge has huge implications for applicants because they can't go about changing things all the time. You know, the whole point is that they plan 30 years ahead and it is what it is. But from a city perspective, I do think we need to recognize opportunities where we can build infrastructure and and build environments that are more adaptive. And I know that we talk like, you know, in the podcast, people often talk about trends. I mean, it's a huge trend, but for me, like being adaptive is like one of the biggest things 
that I would like to see happen in the smart city space, especially in planning, because it just doesn't happen at the moment. Hmm. And how do you think we can be more adaptive? I guess some of the things we've already spoken about, but is there anything you could see that's a low hanging fruit or quick win that would be a simple thing that we could start implementing right now? I guess I'd like to see policies from councils that open up that dialogue because I acknowledge that while government can't or won't necessarily do all of their testing themselves, create all the data, I feel like you could, if you incentivized applicants to do that, but you set up the framework to ensure that the data was in the format that you require to do, to implement your own policies, then you could set requirements to be able to provide that data every two years or, you know, whatever it is to actually have an ongoing monitoring system to understand how your cities are performing. And regardless of whether you change, you go back and say, hey guys, can you change your parking or whatever it is, or can you change your your parking hours, you can still use that data more frequently to implement changes in current applications because it'll be based on not outdated planning controls from 10 years ago. It'll be based on the most current data. Hmm. Interesting. So how do you think Australia is currently embracing the smart city or smart community concept? I think we're doing, we have quite a bit of progress, I guess, in the smart community engagement front, which I'm really pleased about. And I would like to see that continue. And part of those, I guess, trends in the smart city space are like the co-design and the use of smart tools to encourage engagement and even using social media and kind of those passive sources of information, I think are really useful. And I would like to see that continue to be used more. Apart from that, I think it is a bit piecemeal and we do have I guess the good thing is now that we do have policies at all levels including federal so once that starts being implemented at the council level I think things will really start to change we haven't seen that roll out just as yet in terms of individual projects but I can see that happening over the next year. Yeah I think the conversation's really gone from us just writing a, a little piece about say 18 months ago in Australia, it was like, okay, what is a smart city? Then it went to why the hell should we do this? Why should we care about this? What's the benefits? And now it's how, how do we actually do this and how do we implement this and how do we get the most benefit out of it? Yeah, I think the best thing a lot of councils have been doing is focusing on that procurement level. That's their, I guess, biggest key to unlocking the potential of this whole smart cities movement because reality is of course they can't do it alone and being from the private sector I have seen a lot of large applicants that have the resources and are willing to go above and beyond whether it's for financial reasons or whether it's just to leave a legacy behind or you know there are different reasons from their perspective but from council's perspective they'll always be one and it's really in their hands to be able to shape how the process is undertaken over the next year. Yeah, and I think it's a really significant step in that how, which is procurement. So I think it's definitely like in the next 12 months time, it'll be really interesting to see what conversations we're having and like how far we've come because I think it has progressed so rapidly. I mean, in some areas, very slowly, in other areas quite quickly. But I, I agree it's probably a bit, piecemeal but hopefully with policies and 
things happening at the Fed level. And once that filters down, bringing that together, which is the integration piece, which is the integration piece is key to building or creating or enacting these smart cities and communities. Yeah, certainly. I really would like to see one in Sydney, like I'd really like to see one champion council to just go above and beyond and try all of the avenues out there for them to pursue this. Because I think once other councils see that there is, I guess, a safe and ethical process out there for them to ensure that there aren't any issues along the way, but they can still deliver on these key outcomes and really innovative processes and iterative designs and all of these things that are just beyond this, the current framework of planning and at local government. If someone can just take that leap of faith and just try some new things, I think a lot of other councils will follow. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that kind of exemplar, but then not just keeping that all to themselves, but that knowledge sharing in this space is so important. Yeah, certainly. It was really great to hear some of those stories as well at the Smart Cities Conference in Sydney. Yeah, it was. And I think we'll hear more of those stories coming through as more people are maturing and progressing in their journeys, which I'm really excited about as well. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if this is currently happening, but I'd also love to see even just some um, secondments, you know, from within the department and with like across councils, if possible, to actually share that knowledge as well. Because I guess one of the challenges that we do have in the smart city space at the moment is the lack of skills. So if we're trying to share the resources of those skilled professionals, surely they should move around and share that wealth of knowledge elsewhere. Yeah, that's such a great idea. And also then not just go there, sit there, do the work and then leave, but train and and teach other people to develop those skills as well. Because I think people feel a bit bamboozled by a lot of the smart city skills or smart community skills. But yes, there are technical skills, of course, you know, data analysts and other technical, super technical things. But there's also the piece of collaboration, which is so important. And you don't have to be all of them. You don't have to be smart city everything. If you can identify those skills, then you can bring that together in a group of people that can feed off each other and work together and collaborate and then then share those skills across the different councils and government and industry, etc. Yeah, certainly. That's so important. And that's one of the reasons why I took the role that I'm currently in is because this company does have that focus on that, I guess, interdisciplinary approach, which is just crucial to all of this. And like you said, you don't, I mean, granted I am currently undertaking the masters of city analytics because I did want to scale up and understand well, I guess what skills are required in order to implement some of these, I guess, objectives, but you don't need specifically like the coding skills or the data science skills, or, you know, everyone has their own kind of cards to bring to the table. And that's, like it's been really important, especially for me learning over the last year is just that's that wealth of knowledge that individuals bring from their own kind of siloed background. But if we're all at the same table, projects progress phenomenally in such a short amount of time. And once we're all having that discussion, I've seen projects completely shift and just take on like a completely different approach that actually is innovative and is forward thinking and chooses to kind of go above and beyond whatever the planning framework requirements are. 
Yeah, and I think upskilling is also so important to continue to remain relevant. And I also, like, I'm similar to you. I'm kind of like, okay, what's my next skill that I want to grab? And it's not necessarily that I'll do that forever, but just understanding the different skills that are required. You don't necessarily need to know every in and out or whatever, but if you can have a bit of an understanding, then you can kind of empathize with the people that are actually doing that job. Whereas if you've never done it before, which, you know, that's fine too, but that human empathy for someone else's job is so important because I think sometimes we get so caught up in what we're doing, we don't think of the full system and how everyone has to fit together because even if you do an amazing job, you can't do it in a bubble or a silo. It's never going to work. But how does that actually fit into the full system? Yeah, certainly. Actually, I will add to that point a little bit from a private sector point of view. One of the challenges that I face often is so applicants obviously don't always have the knowledge that their consultants have. Obviously, like you just said, everyone has their own expertise that you should respect and understand. Now, if the applicant hasn't set the brief at that high level, then often it comes down to the applicant just agreeing with whatever the consultant says, and there's no kind of room for innovation or scope to improve what the current system is. The times where I have seen an innovative approach in a project really has been when the client has gone, look, I will trust your expertise, but I really want to see something that's next level. And I want to see something that's innovative and delivers on these outcomes as opposed to the outcomes of your past six projects. And that's really when that kind of their ear opens up to actually listen to what their consultants have to say. And their consultants have the opportunity to actually discuss and propose ideas and propose options and use tools and resources out there that they may not have used in the past. Yeah, no, that is such a good point. Thanks for bringing it up. It's that outcome focus because without that, if you just do it the way you've done it and then whatever the outcome is, okay, well, that's the outcome because I followed the process. That's never going to enact or uh, ignite innovation, right? And I think, yeah, it, it is sometimes it takes someone coming from a left field to just go, like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I need this outcome. You know the tools and things that you can use. Just give me that outcome, you know. So, yeah. It's really hard when someone comes to you and says, I'm going to tell you how to do your job. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the projects and things that you're working on as much as you can. Sure. So I guess, unfortunately, I haven't seen that many smart city approaches trickle down into the DA kind of level as yet. But I have experienced projects. So for instance, a focus on social strategy with the core topic being smart communities, which has been really great to see because that social strategy ended up being kind of the core of the entire project, including the design and the planning proposal and kind of everything that came with that. So that's some of the, I guess, the the really cool project experience that I've been seeing. And then I guess from a private consultancy side, I have seen a lot of large developers having the resources and the tools and the frame of mind. And I guess also focus on marketing and focus on the longevity of their developments. They've kind of come at projects with this mindset of, really testing things where they need to be tested. And I've really appreciated that because 
especially when you work kind of as a planner and you're really trying to understand the impacts of something without that testing, it's often, it falls short. And that goes back to kind of what I was talking about at the start is that lack of evidence base. So I have seen a huge increase in a lot of large scale developers really testing those outcomes and testing the options and trying to be a bit more innovative with the data and the the analysis that they do in all of these kind of like whether it be traffic design overshadowing those all of those elements there's i've seen a lot more of that coming through which has been really good as well yeah yeah cool well that kind of leads on to this next question because you know obviously in planning we have to work across all the different disciplines um so how do you think we can better integrate across the different disciplines governments industries developers academics all those people how do we integrate across all of those oh that's a tough one (laughs) it's toughy i guess the best thing that's happening right now is a conversation and i have to say having been at a lot of smart city focused events over the last year there's been a huge involvement from all agencies disciplines levels industries so that's been really good and i think some of the more engaging events really have encouraged people to just talk to each other. And one of them was Smart City Conference. And I really thoroughly enjoyed that everyone that I knew at the conference went and spoke to someone that was just from a discipline that they knew nothing about beforehand. And they learned something new. They learned about some new technologies out there. They learned about some new apps that could help them. And the people that needed to be there were actually there, which was really important because if you don't understand the opportunities at present, then you're always going to reject a proposal that goes beyond your scope of understanding. So if as many people can be at those sorts of events, just engaging with like-minded people and talking to people from different disciplines, I've just seen that transform someone's approach to a project or even their approach to planning or design or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think that's so true. The conversation, like we don't want to just continue to talk and talk and talk and no action, but it all starts with a conversation. And the fact that we can get all those different disciplines in a room and get them excited about smart cities and communities, like that's, you know, that's the first step. Um, I was talking to somebody, I uh, I think it was Martin, um, his podcast on this podcast um, hasn't come out yet, but he was saying, We know we're being successful when people like the community has festivals celebrating smart cities, you know, people (laughs) outside of the discipline. (laughs) I'm just like, Oh my God, that's the best idea. But so I said, he has to organize it. And then (laughs) I'll be there. I'll be there. But it's so true. Like these things just start with a conversation. I guess if I'm going to go back to the, the private sector example, I do think that the best integration that I've seen has come from like, I guess, clients that are open-minded and that are willing to listen to their consultants. But also I have to say, I really enjoy working where I do work because we do always try and encourage that cross-disciplinary approach. So, and it does require a client that's willing to listen, but at the start of a project, if we have the opportunity to say, look, I know this really great, you know, consultant that can really test the sustainability of this whole precinct. 
can we work with them or can we do some feasibility here? Or, you know, like it just, I think if you have some kind of champions, then it will happen eventually and people will start to see the benefits of that as well. Yeah. So building trust or extending trust, extending trust first, and then hopefully creating an environment where there's high trust, high respect, and then you can actually have some of those conversations. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would like to see some, I guess, positive lessons learned from the government sector side in terms of an acknowledgement of where the private sector has gone above and beyond and then acknowledging that they're open to that collaboration as well. Because often part of the reason why a project kind of stays at the minimum requirements is because of this feeling that council or department or whoever it is on the other side isn't really, I guess, avenue open for them to have that discussion in a productive way. So I guess if, if it was really clear from the public sector side that they are open to this approach, then I think it would happen a lot more. Mm, yeah, no, that's, that's a, a good way to put it as well. I mean, I'm sure there's a hashtag open to innovation out there. <laughs> But actually showing real, you know, examples and yeah, making it real, I suppose, rather than just uh I mean, I would say I would love to see public sector acknowledge their mistakes as well and identify where something has solved a problem that they weren't able to solve. And but I mean that's a bit of a challenge to get someone to do that. Yeah, yeah. And it comes back to like the monitoring side of things, using data to monitor as well. So then we can actually have some of those real conversations because the data may speak for itself. Do you think though that part of that challenge is like people not wanting that accountability? You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's frustrating to see just a lack of accountability. Definitely. And I think when we actually start, I mean, I know we monitor, but it's not necessarily the norm or it's not available or it's not easily accessible. But once we actually start monitoring things in a really you know open source kind of way, it's, yeah, it's going to be tough. Like it's not going to be easy. I think that accountability piece that you were just talking about is huge. And it comes back to that being okay to fail. Like we talk about it a lot, but is it, is it really like, will the public be okay if the government fails or, or private sector company fails or, you know, we. Well, that's the thing though, because how do you encourage innovation and experimentation without an openness to fail at a small scale, yes, but fail to some degree. Yeah, we fail all the time, let's be honest. But, you know, on a global scale, well, we're failing right now, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, let's not go into that debate. But being okay to fail, it needs to be calculated. Like we don't just want any old person going, oh, yeah, we're going to do this here and there and there. Like we want the professionals involved. We need that high, you know, that calculated risk and all the kind of stuff. But it needs to be based on like exactly like you said, which is evidence-based. They're monitoring afterwards. But yeah, you do that through, I guess, trials and pilots and things, but also through that adaptability, which is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So part of actually linking back to kind of the adaptability and the accountability aspect of it. When I talk about accountability, I talk about on both sides. So while I would like to see more accountability from the public sector, in terms of adaptability, I would also like to see more accountability from the private sector and whether it, it turns into you know a, a legislative requirement for the applicant to resubmit data you know every two years or whatever it is that's like until you almost have those requirements 
sometimes things just don't progress. And so I'm, when, I, when I talk about accountability, I talk about on both sides. Yeah, I, I totally agree because I think, yeah, we're all in this. Like we're all in this together and it needs to yeah, be opened up on both sides. You know, we do it all the time in like, you know, entrepreneurs and whatever, but like in that startup space, like, oh, well, I did this and it failed and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But we haven't been able to do that on like a, and not just public sector, but private sector as well. Like saying, oh yeah, well, we tried this and this didn't work. And then without that kind of blaming or vilification or, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I think it starts again, exactly what you said, which is a conversation. Yep. Speaking of conversations going on, let's move on to the next question, which is what are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? I think we've already kind of covered this. I think with adaptability and accountability, maybe they're not, well, we need them to be trends, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, they definitely need to be seen as part of the trend and be explored thoroughly within this whole phenomenon of smart cities. With that comes regulations and all of the trials and tribulations that come with testing exactly how you're going to end up with the outcomes that you need to end up with. And that's really what planning is all about. And planning is a very tricky framework to begin with, but you do need frameworks. So like, I would like to see those two things particularly focused on from a, I guess, policy and planning framework point of view. That is such a perfect way to end this conversation. It's been so awesome to chat with you, Prugs. Thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I really just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn really is the best way. I'm sure you can find it in the notes somewhere. (laughs) Yes, we'll put the links in the show notes and uh, your name is fairly unique. So people should be able to find you, I think. Definitely. (laughs) Well, thanks again for coming on to the podcast and I look forward to our next conversation. Definitely. Thanks very much. Talk soon. Ciao. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at SmartComPod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.